Tales Internal Monologue. In this episode, we're going to be covering the Season 1 episode of Babylon 5, The Parliament of Dreams. Uh, so let's get started here. Uh, this is actually a really good episode. It's pretty solid. Uh, has a lot of really funny moments. It's a very lighthearted episode compared to what we've had previously. And uh, I think really shows off every character and their different culture and... It really speaks to what Babylon 5 is going to become, not in the humorous sense, but while Babylon 5 certainly has humor, it's definitely a serious, very serious show, but the character interaction, I think, is the, the big part, that this is where things are starting to come together as far as the characters are concerned, uh, everybody's kind of getting a hold of their character now, uh, everybody's playing it correctly, um, and every character, and certain characters even get introduced that will become important later. We have Natoth, who's introduces uh, Chakar's assistant, uh, Lanier, Delenn's assistant, and then Kathra Sakai, uh, who, while not as important as the other two, uh, certainly is a reoccurring presence for the first season, at least. Um, so... It's just a lot of fun, especially uh, when we get to the various uh, cultures, uh, sort of ceremonies, especially the uh, the Centauri one, which is all about debauchery and uh, loving life and drinking and going crazy. And, uh, and of course, Londo has this amazing moment where he crawls up on the table, describing all uh, like several of the gods of uh, Morgoth, the, the guardian of the underworld and protector of front doors. I, and and then, he, and then he goes on like, did I ever tell you, Dylan, that you are a very cute for Minbari? Uh, and, and then goes to Garibaldi and goes, you're cute too, in an annoying sort of way. But me, I'm stunning. In purple, anyway. But, uh, uh, and, uh, it's just a lot of fun. Uh, you can't help but crack up. Uh, and then the, the, the Mimbarni ceremonies are very ethereal and spiritual as per their standard. And of course, we find out at the end of this episode that it doubles as a marriage ceremony. Uh, so I will get into that in the spoiler section because it was actually a plan for that that, uh, did not end up panning out. Uh, but uh, there was a plan for why that doubles as a marriage ceremony, but also makes sense as a rebirth ceremony, and uh, in most cultures, marriage is seen as a rebirth, the bonding of two people into one person. It is effectively, you are being born again. Uh, so it makes sense that a rebirth ceremony uh, about starting your life anew would be also a marriage ceremony. And then, of course, the ending... That beautiful, beautiful ending that never ceases to cause me to tear up. Because the festivals were all about, this is like a week. It's like a, the, the best way I can explain it is that it's Eurovision. Not quite, but it's close to it. If you've ever watched Eurovision, you know that the, it's basically, they each each member of Europe um, brings together their 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 latest sensation, something about their culture that's super important, and they demonstrate it to the rest of Europe. And it's plain politics. Any of There's a joke about it that any of the neighboring countries, any of the bordering countries will always vote for their neighbors as to keep political tensions 
uh, uh, nice and peaceful, basically, to, uh, to maintain the status quo. Uh, so that's what this is, basically. This is an entire week for everybody to experience each other's cultures. It's less about actually experiencing one's other culture, which may be the original intent, and more about playing politics. Um, and which is why it's disrespectful if anyone isn't there or if one isn't held. Um, so Sinclair, throughout the entire episode, is having a hard time because this is supposed to show the dominant belief system, the dominant religion of your world. And he's the ambassador for Earth, and he's like, I can't figure out one. There is no dominant belief system on Earth, and there never will be. We are a very divided people. We have many different beliefs, different ideas, and that's how we'll forever be. That's something that makes us very special and very unique is that we all have different opinions, and those opinions formulate in not only our belief systems, but our political systems and all that stuff. Everything is unique about us. And that will become important later on in Babylon 5 when people discuss why humans are unique in certain ways. So that end, that beautiful, beautiful end, Sinclair lines up a bunch of people, and we don't see how many people, and he just goes down and goes, this is an atheist, and this is a Catholic, and this is a Greek Orthodox, and this is a Hindu, and this is a Buddhist, and it goes on and on and on, and the camera pans, and we see that this line goes on forever and ever and doesn't end, and there's no end in sight, and then it cuts the credits. It's beautiful because it's showing that we as a people, while we are divided amongst beliefs and opinions and ideas, we can come together to work together for the betterment of mankind and the betterment of the galaxy because we can be good. Once again, Babylon 5 certainly has its pessimistic moments and it has its optimistic moments. The optimism and the pessimism exist together and coalesced into a more realistic setting. This is not just everything bad that happens to everyone setting, uh, a la Game of Thrones, and this isn't a everything good happens to everyone setting, like Star Trek. It's a mix, and that's what makes Babylon 5 so unique and so wonderful and surprisingly uplifting especially in our trying times, especially now with various religious and racial tensions going on. It's nice to see a show from 20 years ago saying we can get through it and things should, will, can be better. So um, now the, the I would classify the festivals as the A plot. Because we have kind of an A, B, and C plot. This really feels like a comic book setup. Uh, the Levitt's Paradigm or a classic a classic TV setup. Got an A plot, a B plot, and a C plot. And each get a roughly an equal amount of screen time. And they each roughly tie into each other. So first I'm going to cover the Sinclair stuff. I can't cover a lot of it because most of it will go into the spoiler section. So the Sinclair plot revolves around an old girlfriend of his that he's been on and off again for many, many years coming to the station, getting named Catherine Sakai. And we actually acknowledge what happened to Carolyn. Uh, Carolyn from The Gathering, who was girlfriend in The Gathering, uh, she she wanted to start a business with him, and he, that just wasn't him. He wanted to main, main, be the commander still, so uh, they, they, they split up. Catherine Sakai 
and Sinclair, they, they're they on again, off again. They've been that way since the Academy. And, uh, and it feels very natural, their interactions. They're, they interact very humanly with each other. Very, They're very sassy with each other, very loving with each other. It goes back and forth, and you can tell they have a very long history with each other. And they're, they both insanely love each other, that they're madly in love with each other. But they don't want to admit it to each other because they're both... They're both control freaks, basically. They both want to be in control, and they don't want to admit their vulnerability to each other. But as they say, this is a cycle every three years. They come together, they they, they reminisce, they talk about certain things, and then inevitably they end up in each other's bed. It's that simple. And eventually they're going to have to break the cycle and get together, which they're trying to do by the end of this episode is that She's going to go out doing her surveying that she's doing, which, by the way, uh, Quantum, uh, she finds out that she's going to get a large sum from finding Quantum 40, and she's also sent some maps over of this area she wants to survey called Sigma 957, which I don't think it's really a spoiler because it's only next episode that she's going to go to Sigma 957 next episode. So that's a nice bit of continuity there. Uh, but she'll also come back to the station, and she'll be with Sinclair, and they're going to try and make this work. Um, so I, I think that's very interesting. Um, and I like how Garibaldi, he sees her on the dock and he's like, oh crap, basically. And he goes to Sinclair and it feels very human. That's, I think that's the best way. It, everything with V5 is so very human, so very relatable. Um, because have you, have you ever had a friend with you that cared about you so much? that knew about your history of certain things and then when they see someone or something they immediately have to go warn you and they don't know how to go about it because it's kind of awkward um that that's the way it is with garibaldi and sinclair he's just like um and then sinclair is just going on and on about the festival and how he's trying to figure things out and then he, and garibaldi just interrupts and goes catherine's on board and sinclair's face just drops they try and, and he's like how long and Garibaldi starts answering he's like you're gonna want to sort this out basically and then and then when the the the, the Centauri festival Garibaldi's like are you sure you don't want to see her um and then when uh when Sinclair finally asks where she's located Garibaldi just immediately gives her, him the answer because he knows that it was gonna happen anyway so he's just waiting for the go-ahead to give him the answer um beautiful beautiful uh, so I won't go into much there because I need to go in in spoiler sections, uh, about this Catherine and Sinclair thing. So I'll go to the Jakar plot. We're starting to get more shades of gray with Jakar. Jakar started out as the almost stereotypical villain. Um, now we're starting to realize he's a bit more than that. And, uh, we learn more about Narn culture, about how they have a League of Assassins, how you can legally have someone assassinated. It is not against the rules. It's not something that is illegal at all. Uh, that is just part of their politicking. It's quite common. Uh, and almost everyone knows the rules of the League of Assassins. Uh, and it's just ingrained into their culture. So that's interesting. But he starts off this episode, you know, he gets the call. He's like, oh, I'll soon be dead. And he's just like, cheers. Uh, and, in, in whatnot. and then we as we follow him he gets more and more over the top uh and of course there's that opening where he where like are you ambassador Jakar? and he's like this is ambassador Jakar's table this is ambassador Jakar's dinner um so 
he he's getting more and more personality and as we'll see in the next episode i don't want to spoil he's fully becomes not a villain we're we're slowly you're learning more and more about him uh, and his his reactions are wonderfully over the top and crazy and it, it really fe- it feeds into the tone of this really humorous episode while his story is actually quite kind of quite dark in a way because he has an assassin after him uh it's treated humorously even when he's kidnapped and he's being tortured with pain givers which i'll go into in the spoiler section uh and then toth comes and rescues him they in dialogue they address the all the cliches that are being done of oh this is where you do double true cross me and I, I, this is the point where i should trust you uh all that sort of thing and so it, it, it's wonderfully on the uh, tongue-in-cheek on the nose kind of thing about the entire situation and it, it's a way to fill out Jakar as a character of going from this more villainous to this more humble character which he'll eventually become incredibly humble but we're not there yet uh we're very far away from that so uh, and of course, the ending where they don't kill the assassin, they just they just know that because he didn't fulfill the contract that the League of Assassins is going to come right after him. So they repeat what he says to them. If you will know pain, you will know fear and then you will die. Uh, and it is beautiful. And it, it, even Sinclair is like, well, he's in a good mood. Um, so it's just a lot of fun. Now. There are, I'm going to go into the spoiler section because we have a couple of things that need to be addressed. So, the Sinclair and Catherine Sakai thing. So, in the original plan, she is Anna Sheridan. Uh, if you've seen the rest of the series, you know that Anna Sheridan is Sheridan's wife. And uh, Sheridan, of course, is the commander starting with season two. Um, and she disappeared out on the rim. And uh, she comes back at the end of season three, changed, taken over by the shadows, and, manip- and tries to manipulate Sheridan. Uh, and of course, that leads to the great moment of jump, jump now, and the explosion of Zahadum, and, uh, which mirrors uh, Gandalf's own jump uh, at the Bridge of Khazad-dûm in Lord of the Rings. But I'll get into that when I finally get there. That's three seasons away, and that's the end of season three, and it is awesome. But. Uh, so we get a mention that she's going to go off. Uh, she's a surveyor. She's surveying these uh, particular areas. She's currently investigating what will become next episode of Sigma 957, which she'll meet with the walkers of Sigma 957, who are one of the first ones, uh, which will become important once we get into the Shadow War and things actually start kicking off, but they haven't yet. It's a lot of setup. Um, so... Uh, we get that, uh, but also the three-year pattern. Once again, this is all planned out by uh, JMS. So when she says that this is the three-year, we we break up. Uh, three years later, we come back, we reminisce, we get back together. Three years is season three. The end of season three is when Anna Sheridan comes back. It would have been Catherine Sakai if Sinclair was still around, which means boom right there he had a plan he was setting it up it's glorious if only it would have been followed through but i'll get into the departure of michael hare when we get to the end of season one and go into season two um another thing that is set up for the future that will not be followed on mainly because entirely because of michael hare's departure is the 
Mimpari ceremony, a rebirth ceremony function do doubles as a marriage ceremony, which I mentioned makes sense. But there's an exchange of looks between Delenn and Sinclair. Now, of course, this is to set up the fact that and that scene even ends with, and so it begins, which is going to become one of Kasha's most famous lines at the end of this season. Um, but it's because in the original plan, the Mimbari had a, a prophecy about the humans in the Mimbari coming together, and that Sinclair was part of that prophecy, and that uh, Delenn was supposed to have a child with him. So there's this kind of building romance that won't ever go anywhere and will just be turned into a straight friendship. And then as we'll find out in season four, as JMS wonderfully adapts to his situations, because once again, he's not married to his story. He's willing to change it as problems and needs arise. He adapts this prophecy to become that uh, that uh, Sinclair was actually Valen, the basically Minbari Jesus, their biggest uh, cultural and religious figure, and that Valen is an ancestor of Delenn, that Delenn is a child of Valen, which means that uh, the reason Triluminary, which we'll get to when we get the Chrysalis, uh, illuminates with both, uh, actually we'll be covered in uh, Skyfall Stars, actually, um, illuminates around both of them is because they're both of the same genealogy. They are, they are, uh, she is a descendant of Sinclair. So that building, that kind of almost lover's tension here, uh, the, the doubles of the marriage ceremony thing doesn't go through again. However, the rebirth ceremony itself will be back in season three, along with Dylan getting married to the current captain of the station. Uh, that of course being Sheridan. And I think they work kind of better. I think they have more chemistry. But we'll get to that when we get to that. Um, so, uh, of course, Delenn's, speaking of Delenn, Delenn's words to Lanier are the same words Ducat ushered to her when she was his aide. Uh, so Lanier, uh, as per what is standard, is you do, not, you do not look upon one of the Great Council. You do not look someone who holds the rank of Satai. So Lanier is looking down. He refuses to look her in the eyes. He's just looking down at the floor. And she smiles and goes, look up. And she's like, it's forbidden. She goes, no, I will not have an aide that is constantly looking down because for he will be forever walking into things. And that, of course, is a her repeating exactly what Dukat told her when she became his aide, which was, I will not have an aide that is always looking down uh, because she will forever be walking into things. And we'll be getting into that in... Uh, both uh, the season four episode that deals with Ducat and uh, in the beginning, um, which is some glorious episodes, by the way. Um, so the final bit here, uh, it's not much. Uh, it's just a minor thing. It's a nice little bit of continuity. The pain givers are something that is uh, that the Narns have. It's very unique to the League of Assassins and the Tothi. If it makes a joke that they're crude, uh, ineffective, but they they work well as torture devices. Uh, now the pain givers will be slightly redesigned and slimmed down, uh, but they will show up again in season four, in an episode uh, called uh, Inter uh, Interceptions in Real Time or. Uh, um, uh, and, uh, basically Sheridan will be tortured with painkivers. Uh, and 
they even acknowledge the interrogator in that episode acknowledges, yeah, these are pain givers. We were, they were given to us by the Narn, uh, and it, it, it's horrific, these kind of torture devices, but it makes sense. Actually, real quick, uh, of course, uh, when Captain Sakai comes into Sinclair's room, uh, he is talking. He's listening to an audiobook by Tennyson, which, of course, as we saw in the gathering, he was uh, he was he quoted a poem by Tennyson. And then later on, he, that, that that will be a continuing part of his characters that he loves Tennyson. And then when he departs the show, uh, as stated in season four, he left a poem a Tennyson poem on the desk for Sheridan, uh, which of course as is the same one from the gathering. Uh, we, you know, that is, that is the goal to strive, to seek, to find and not to yield, uh, which is a, a very important thematic part of Babylon five is standing for what you believe in. Even if you stand alone and never, ever giving up. So, I will end it now. Uh, that's all I have to say on this episode. What a beautiful episode. This is, uh, this is, even though it has some hints of things to come, it's actually relatively standalone. It's quite humorous. It's a lot of fun to watch. Uh, but it really digs into the characters. There's no real threat of the week. I mean, you can classify the assassin as a threat of the week, but not really because he's treated as kind of a joke. And it's just a lot of fun. It digs into the characters, the different cultures of the characters. And this is what makes Babylon great. And especially season one. A lot of people don't give season one enough credit because they're so used to season two onwards being so invested. Season one gets you invested with episodes like The Parliament of Dreams by making you love these characters, learning about it. It's a slow burn. But once once that burn once the flame unites and we we get into the real meat of the series, you will be glad you've seen season one, purely because you have all that backstory and all that, that, that foundation that is laid that is so super important. And people who skip the season two, boggle my mind, because you miss out on so much, so much character development, so much foundation laying that Jameis is doing for the future. And some people like their stories immediate. That's fine. That That is their prerogative. I prefer slow burn stories. And uh, Babylon 5 certainly kicks in high gear later. But right now it's nice and slow. We don't even know about the shadows yet. Uh, I mean, they won't come into play for a while now. But everything is being laid to get into what we'll get into later. Next episode will be on Mind War, which, speaking of laying foundations, sees the introduction of one of the main villains of the series, Alfred Bester, played by the wonderful Walter Koenig, who you may know as Pavel Chekhov from the Star Trek series. Wonderful, wonderful character, and wonderful episode coming up. See you next week. Thank you.